common thing that you've ever seen? What do you remember? What's the most common person that, you, that you've ever laid your eyes on? What's the most uncommon thing that you've ever been part of? Uncommon stands out. You remember it. It sticks with you. And our desire this year is that we take the remarkable, only by God's grace, the above the ordinary and, and, and the exceptional, and with God's help, we let him work that through us, not even just for us, but through us so that we can impact the world in an uncommon way. That's our desire this year. When you see uncommon, you remember it. You remember it for a long time. Many men in this room competed in an event about six weeks ago called the Tough Mudder, which I was a part of our team. Our staff was part of that. And we trained hard for it. 13-mile run with 25 British Special Force obstacles. We did it in, in 30-degree weather, jumping into water, climbing walls, uh, running through fire, helping each other through a variety of things. It was an amazing teamwork event. But as a result of training for this, we found ourselves running through the Elkhart River at 6 a.m. in the morning, running through this pond when it was cold and 30 degrees and, and prepping ourselves. But even more than that, the things that motivated us and kept us going was watching other people do it and seeing other video clips of people doing it. Even for me personally, running through that event, there was a period where my leg cramps were all, legs were cast were all cramped up, and I kept remembering these guys who were on one leg, these ladies who were on one leg that completed this event, and this voice running through my head, if they can do it, then I can do it. And so there was this one clip recently I saw that's just uncommon. Uncommon teamwork, uncommon effort, where someone faced a wall, during the Tough mutter, there's this, this half pipe that you have to run up, and it's a top, there are men trying to pull you up. But imagine trying to scale a half pipe on one good leg. Take a look at this uncommon effort and this uncommon teamwork. Seriously, what's your excuse? What is your excuse of giving all you got? Uncommon effort. If he could do that, what is our excuse? What is it when you think about it? 
to take the world for Jesus Christ in an uncommon way and to accomplish uncommon things. What is our excuse other than we choose not to? Make this the year and may this be the year that you move from your seats to your feet and you accomplish uncommon things as fathers and as mothers and as daughters and as sons and as brothers and as sisters and as Christ's father. May this be the year that you get out of the unstuck mode or the stuck mode that you're in. May this be the year with Christ's help that you do uncommon things. Does anybody want to be part of something like that? You want a year where you, with Christ's help, do something uncommon? Praise God for the 43 of you that want to. Seriously. Don't you want to be part of something uncommon? Yeah. Praise God. 44. Praise God. This could be the year that you move beyond your obstacles, move beyond your hardships, and don't go back in that same cycle of insanity. May this be the year that you plow new roads, find new, new ways with God's help, instead of defaulting to complaining and griping and saying it's too hard, it's too difficult. Tony Dungy said it this way, and I love this quote. He says, success is uncommon. Therefore, it will not be enjoyed by the common man. Success is uncommon. Therefore, it will not be enjoyed by the common man. May this be the year that you, for the first time in areas that you've never found victory in, do it in an uncommon way and taste victory. I am going to walk and open up this series with characteristic traits of a person that wants to be uncommon, that lives an uncommon life. So I encourage you to take notes. Do something uncommon. Write it down. Take it with you. Read it again and ask God to just allow this to just, just ooze from your soul and your heart and your spirit. Grab your Bibles, and we're going to dig in today. And if you need a Bible, please hold your hand up. Our ushers will place one in your hand. If you don't have a Bible, take this Bible home. It's our gift to you from Grace Community Church. Bring it back with you next week. Every week we open up our Bibles and see what God says to us. How can we be uncommon? We need to position ourselves to see farther and more courageously than others. Keep your hand up if you need a Bible. How can we be uncommon? We need to position ourselves to see farther and more courageously than others. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 13 in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter 13. And look at verse 16. We're going to read 1 Samuel 13, verses 16 to 22. Please turn there with me. We're going to read that together. When you find it, stand up. We're going to read it out loud together. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 16 to 22. Let's read it out loud together. 1 Samuel 13, verses 16 to 22. Ready? Read. Saul and his son Jonathan and the men with them were staying in Gibeah and Benjamin, where the Philistines camped at Michmash. Raiding parties went out from the Philistine camp in three detachments. One turned towards Ophrah in the vicinity of Shuol. 
another towards Beth Horan, and the third towards the borderland, overlooking the valley of Zeboim, facing the desert. Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel, because the Philistines had said, Otherwise, the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plowshares, mattocks, axes, and sickles sharpened. The price was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening plowshares and mattocks, and a third of the shekel for sharpening forks and axes and for repointing goads. So on the day of the battle, not a soldier was Saul, and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. You may have a seat. We jump into a, a narrative where Saul is king. Saul is left with a remnant of 600 men. Battle after battle had taken place in the Old Testament with the Israelites. Now they're ready to encounter the Philistines. However, Jonathan and his armor bearer are about to pull away from Saul. Saul has 600 men with him. The rest of the Israelite army, literally, just weeks prior to that, many of them left. Because they look at the enemy and they said, the enemy is bigger. And many of them left camp from the Israelite camp and moved over to the Philistine camp. So they had people that once served God, Yahweh, and they, they were afraid that we're going to get beat, we're going to get killed. They left and went with the Philistines. Another group that once were with Saul prior to this, what we're reading today. They decided to hide. They were afraid. And the text will show you that they went up into the mountain region area, went into the cliffs and the holes and the caverns, and they were hiding. So there are only 600 men left to fight for Israel. The rest of them either left camp, went to the other enemy side, or in hiding, afraid. The text shows us there's Jonathan, who is ready to attack and ready to do something uncommon. He has an armor bearer. An armor bearer is someone who carries your sword, your, your equipment for battle. They work alongside you. Saul, meanwhile, is here. We also know this from the text. They had no weapons. The weapons they needed, needed to be sharpened, but there was not a blacksmith to be found. So literally, they took their garden hose, they took, they took their garden rags, they took their mattocks, and they said, here, sharpen them. That became their weapon. Literally, can you imagine line up? Go to your sheds, go to your garages, get out your garden rake. We're ready to attack this infantry who is highly tuned, who has modern day weaponry. And we're going to run as like the, the clampets going after the American military. Imagine that picture. That's the picture. The odds are stacked against them. Jonathan knows that the odds are stacked against them. So are, are the other men who fled or are hiding knowing, boy, we don't have much of a chance. So we have these, this modern-day weaponry an enemy going against all the gardeners standing with their hoes and mattocks, ready to defend till death. Not a very pretty picture if that's the side that you're on. Yet, God can do way more than we could ever imagine. We know that through Scripture. Imagine lining up your defense department and giving the, uh, your commander-in-chief a report and saying, we are ready for an all-out assault and you call out your army. Let me see what you got. And out comes Joe with his hoe. Out comes Bob with his garden rake. Out comes Tim with his mattock. And there you stand. Quite an army, isn't it? That's the picture that the Israelites had at this moment. Jonathan knew it. The text says he had a weapon though. 
but he was only among. Look at verse 22. So on that day of battle, not a soldier was Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in his hand, only Saul and his son Jonathan. Two people in the whole group had a, a legit weapon. Have you ever felt that way? It's like, how in the world am I supposed to win at this when I have all this against me? Look what they got. How do you expect me to accomplish this in my marriage, God? How do you expect me to accomplish this, God, in in sports? How do you expect me to accomplish this when they've had this much training in the classroom? How do you expect me to overcome this sickness when I have this ailment and I'm on one leg? How can I finish the Tough Mudder when I only have one working leg? You do it when you connect to God and you do it and find success if you do it in an uncommon way. And Jonathan is about ready to do that. Have you ever been on the end where you're the guy with the garden hoe? I don't have enough time in my day. Too much work to get done. Everything's against me. God, this is too big. Here's the question you got. Do you think God never faced that before with someone else? Sometimes we think what we're going through, God has never seen before. He has, and he's helped someone else walk through it. Jonathan and Saul are the only ones armed with weapons. Now, here's what's critical, though. In order for us to be and do the uncommon, we have to see farther than most, position ourselves, and see things in a courageous way. So Jonathan is looking. Hey, we're overwhelmed. We're outmanned. We're outgunned. But he's seeing beyond that and courageously says, let's do this. It's the decisions that you make in these moments like this when you're the underdog that could impact your life forever. You see, it's easy to win when you're on the other side, when you have everything you need. But what happens if your bank account is empty? What happens if your health isn't where it should be? What happens if it's just a new place and you don't know anybody? What happens if you had an injury out of nowhere? Do you just sit and gripe and complain or do you get up and go? I watch it happen all the time. It's in these moments that you see uncommon people get victory because they make a decision in their mind that I will not stay here. I will not let this defeat me. Jonathan could see the victory. He had eyes that were uncommon. And regardless of what report he saw in the physical, he knew he could, could accomplish this battle with God's help. But he would have to do something uncommon to make it happen. Secondly, in order for us to do the uncommon, we must have a dis... Now listen, this is one where you must. Have a disregard for the judgment from other people. This is a huge one. You must have a disregard for the judgment from other people. Such as, well, why are you doing that? Why did you bring that kid into your house? Why did you move in my neighborhood? That means this will happen. How, if you do this, then that means this. And, well, I would have done it this way. And how come you're doing it? You must have a disregard for judgment from other people and from your greatest critic. One of the things that I've learned in 50 years of life, and now it is 50 years of life, that you will take hits if you choose to do uncommon things. You just, just... Just be prepared for it. Just have a disregard for those people and their critics and their judgment. You will never do anything uncommon in your life if you try to please everybody. You just won't. You will take hits. I've also learned from experience that you must have a tough hide and a tender heart or you'll never accomplish uncommon things with God. 
Part of the journey of a successful person in Christ is exposure to people who would do things differently from you and they'll let you know it quickly. Well, I can't believe you did it that way. Well, I'm leaving if you're doing it that way. Well, how come you're doing it that way? Did you really bring that child into your home, into our neighborhood? Did you really stand up and say that in front of your peers? I would never do that. It's the disregard for the judgment of other people. Teddy Roosevelt, one of his classy quotes, said it this way, and it's worth repeating for Uncommon. He said this, It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives violently, who errs and comes up short again and again, because there is no effort without error or shortcoming. But who knows the great enthusiasm, the great devotions, who spends himself for a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who knew neither victory nor defeat." We must have a disregard for those kind of people. Jonathan and his armor bearer are about to do something uncommon that most would never attempt. As far as that goes, most would never try. Exceptional, remarkable, above the ordinary. Look at chapter 13 and verse 23. Now a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass at Michmash. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Sometimes you have to do things, even have a disregard, and sometimes you just do it and you don't ask for permission. You ask for forgiveness later. Sometimes you just know God wants you to do it and you're going to go do it. And here's the case. Jonathan says, I know God wants me to do it. If I ask my dad, he was a grown man, by the way. So I'm not telling teens, just do what you want. This was a grown man. And he says, you know, if I go to dad, he's going to say, there's not enough people in there. You don't have enough armors and you don't have enough guns. You don't have enough this. And so Jonathan just decided to do it. He was willing to do it even, even if no one wanted to agree with him. Let me show you a family that decided to do something just like that. Take a look at this family right here. As you can tell, it's a blended family. And as you can tell, there's some children that weren't born to this couple. This couple decided to do something uncommon. This couple decided to adopt some children with HIV virus. Decided to move them into their neighborhood, live with them, They decided that, you know what? I don't care what neighbors think. I don't care what everyone says. They decided that they would adopt children. Listen to their amazing, uncommon story. Kyle Twitmire embraced his wife's Carolyn's vision to adopt their first HIV-positive orphan from Ethiopia. But first they fought, then they prayed. They were already convinced to adopt a special needs child. 
But then Carolyn learned about three Ethiopian children, a healthy youngster, an HIV-positive middle child, and a teen. She spoke with Kyle, a painter, already supporting their seven children. He responded emphatically, woman, have you lost your mind? She yielded after a day's argument, but he couldn't shake the thought. He encountered constant reminders for two weeks. And finally, as he prayed on the drive back home from work, he heard a song this Christmas with the phrase, Father to the fatherless. At home, he told his wife, I think those are our kids. The next step was talking it through with their children and forewarning them that they have a little less materially. The kids saw it clearly. Dad, they don't have a family. Seven months later, in July of 2007, the Twitmires adopted Rachel, HIV-positive Samuel, and Seth with the help of donations. Instead of stopping there, the first adoption led directly to next Selah, their living, breathing miracle of God. In Ethiopia, to, to bring home new children, Carolyn encountered a tiny girl diagnosed with AIDS. Over six months, no one even asked about adopting her. So she and Kyle did. The process taken another six months, returning to Ethiopia for her July 2008. Carolyn found the child slipping away, weighing just 32 pounds at 11 years old. This picture, if you'll put it back up, it's right there, shows Carolyn with her thumb and forefinger encircling Selah's tiny upper arm. Selah was unable to survive the flight to America without a blood transfusion. No blood was available. But Carolyn was a match, giving the blood that strengthened Selah for the journey. We couldn't talk to each other. So she said, I just sat with her and held her. Selah is now a smiling, active teenage girl, softly speaking, accented English. The virus is undetectable. The Twitmire's next adoption in May of 2010 reunited Selah with her two siblings, Andarge and Sarah, who had been surviving on their own own in Ethiopia. They adopted the oldest just in time. In a matter of days, Andarge would have been too old and unable to go with his sister. The 14th Twitmire child is 10-month-old Sophia, born with Down syndrome and currently getting an abundance of attention from a household of big brothers and sisters. The family lives in a large seven-bedroom house in Chicago's South west suburbs with a 15 passenger van and a minivan in the driveway. They sometimes make their own soap, shampoo, and lotion. They were ready in a family dinner with a main dish of noodles as I closed my notebook and left their cheerful living room. They point out that many countries warehouse orphans and other orphans are out on their own battling for life, often sick and hungry and unloved. Both groups desperately need homes. The Twitmires say the lingering social stigma and fear surrounding HIV prevents many of the world's most vulnerable children from finding homes and causes early unnecessary deaths. Decades into the fights against AIDS, doctors know that the HIV virus is not, only, is not spread through common household or playground contact, but only through sexual transmission, needles, or blood transfusions and most commonly for orphan children from mother to infant at birth or through breastfeeding. Carolyn worries that shame associated with the disease too often can cause HIV-positive children to feel unloved, even at churches. 
She says, HIV has never been transmitted in any normal family situation. And all her children know to get an adult if someone's bleeding. Twice in five years, she's taken out gloves to deal with significant cut. She says, there is no need to live in fear. A picture of someone who did something uncommon and willing to walk through a variety of, of judgment, but saw farther and courageously and couldn't go to sleep at night after they saw this and the, the, the burden was on their heart and they just did it. They did it in an uncommon way. Jonathan is about to find himself doing something uncommon. Saul and his armor, or Jonathan and his armor bearer are about to go to the outpost. Way too many people, however, never experience the uncommon because of fear and spending their lives living in safety harnesses. Is that how you live your life? Seriously, just ask your question. What is the most uncommon thing that you've done in the last six months of your life? What is the most uncommon thing you've done in the last 12 years? Is your life predictable? Could your children say, dad does this every time. Mom does this every time. Could mom and dad say, children, this is what you do every time. When people look at your life, is it the, is it the pretty neighborhood with the pretty car, with the pretty kids, with the pretty fence and the pretty retirement? Or are you living in an uncommon way that you're impacting the world with an uncommon impact? Jonathan is about to do something that's uncommon. The third characteristic of someone who's willing to be uncommon is they must take the first step. You might say, well, that's a profound thought, Jim. It, it really is, by the way. That might not seem like a big thing for a characteristic of an uncommon person. Yet the first step is always the hardest. There are so many people in this room and in the link and across the internet watching this that right now you are one step away from success and greatness in God's eyes, but you refuse to take that first step. There are so many people one step away, one step away from uncommon victory, one step away from the experience of a lifetime, yet you refuse to take the step. And here's how you spend your lives. And I do too. I think we should spend our time on our knees. Dear God, come through. God, answer this. God, please do this. How many of us have spent time praying for a child, praying for a new direction, praying for breakthrough, praying for marriage, praying for healing, praying for success, praying for business, praying for this, praying for health, and you spend your time on your knees. Listen to me. God is going to call you out this year to get off of your knees and get on your feet and take that first step. There comes a time when the praying has been prayed enough, when you must get up and just take the step. I'm telling you, you are one step away from victory and achieving something uncommon. But it's as simple and it's just as hard as one step. Many of you, your prayer warriors, you'll stay and you'll spend and you'll pray. And we need intercessors and you should be an intercessor. But listen to me, you got to get off of your knees and take the first step if you want to do something uncommon with God. Many of us are praying, God, please bring this person. God, will someone do this? God, will you send help there? God, will you go there? And he's saying, get off of your knees, take the step and be that miracle. Listen, this could be the year of doing something uncommon for God. But you must put the knees or get off your knees and step forward. I'll say it this way. Here's why I believe this. When your natural and my natural collides with God's super, you have supernatural. When God's super collides with your natural, it makes supernatural. But 
put them and stand them alone from each other and there isn't a collision, there isn't supernatural. God is begging you to get up and take the step. And the only way that his super will collide with your natural if you get up and make the collision. He's waiting. And he's probably been waiting for some of you for far too long. And you're praying, please God, please God do this. Please God do that. And he's saying, get off of your knees, get on your feet and let's have a collision of sorts. When God's super collides with your natural, supernatural. The best way I can demonstrate this is with fire and power. This one's showing me. Let me show you. Josh, I need my son's help here. Can you come help me a second here, bud? We've done this many times, so I know you can help me out here. This is us. We are ready to launch. Just picture yourself as this bottle rocket. Been here before, haven't we, bud? (laughs) But this is the picture. This is you and this is me. We're on the launch pad. But we need God to collide with us. And the way that collision, the way that happens is if he collides with us. And so we must get up and move towards the source of collision and the catalyst. Hey, this light a bottle rock in here. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Watch what happens when Josh's super collides with Jim's natural. Where did it end up? Anybody get it? Let's, thanks, Josh. Come here. Thanks, bud. But I caught on fire too, man. Look at that. I even got a hole in my shirt. That is awesome. You can see the smoke. That's a great illustration, isn't it? When God super, it's still smoking. <laughs> when God super collides with your uncommon shirt, supernatural stuff happens. But let me ask you a question. How many of you are still laying in the pack? You got them stored away and you know they're there. Oh, you can't wait to just shoot them off. How many of you are almost made it to the launch pad? And you're like, you've been praying, you've been praying. That would be so much fun. <laughs> I wish I had a lighter right now. <laughs> Any smokers in the group? <laughs> but listen, is this a picture of your life? God's saying, get out of the launch pad. Run to the collision source, the catalyst. And let's see his super collide with our natural and let's do uncommon for God. Listen to me, church. Some of you have been on your knees for too long, waiting for someone else. Maybe God is saying, you get up and you go. You are one step away. Jonathan is right here. In fact, look at chapter 14, look at verse two, look what happens next. And I have the smell and remnants of that super collision on me. (laughs) Thanks, Ryan, my accountability partner, saying, Jim, Jim, Jim. Chapter 14 and verse 2, look what it says. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother. Looks like a hot tub, doesn't it? Son of Phinehas. 
the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes, the other was called Sina. One cliff stood to the north towards Michmash, the other stood towards the south towards Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, what did he say? What's the word? Come, let's go over to the outposts of those uncircumcised fellows. Look what he says. What's the next word? Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. I love this because Jonathan was willing to go on a perhaps. He was willing to go on 51%. He was willing to say, you know what? Perhaps if God comes through, perhaps let's just do it. What happens if he did come through? How many of you are willing to go on a perhaps? It's called faith. And he said, God is willing to save either by many or few. And so, hey, this is just a few. He doesn't need a big army. We could do it together. And perhaps he'll come through. Jonathan gets it right. Even though it seemed like his makeshift army of hoes, rakes, and maddocks were enough to make him run and hide in the rocks, he didn't wave a white flag. He knew who his father God was, and he remembered his name. And he remembered that his God was mighty and powerful, and he was one of his descendants and one of his children. And Jonathan says, let's go. Now you might say, what did that path look like? I want to show you what it looked like. Take a look at this. This is the Micmash path. As you can see, there's, there's, the water would travel down through the bottom of this valley or this gorge. And on both sides, to the north and to the south, was stone. It wasn't like you're walking up a hill like you are in Indiana. This, this is a cliff. And so what he had to do, he had to climb hand over hand through a rocky cliffed area and get to the top. It wasn't as if he was just walking up. And meanwhile, while he's hiding, all the other Israelites are hiding in the cliffs and the crags of of this mountainous area. This is what he saw. And when he saw this, perhaps God will let me win. Think about your obstacle. Do you have to climb a wall today? This is what he faced. And he was willing to accomplish something uncommon for God. He was willing to go on a perhaps. I love the faith that Jonathan has here. Because uncommon victories come when you put your neck on the line for Jesus Christ and you say, God, the only way this can happen is if you come through. Looking over this past year, there have been many moments where we've been in our offices and and we've said things like this. Boy, if God doesn't come through, we're really gonna look stupid. I am just serious. I can think about Easter of this past year we had a, two of our electricians in our church build us a wall that had 100 lights on it with 100 switches. They spent hours building this thing. And so we're planning for this service and planning that, that, that somehow someone would come to Christ and if they gave their life to Jesus Christ, they'd come on and flip a switch. And so we're back in the office and we say, how many lights do we make? I said, let's just do a bunch. How many, how many can you put on four pieces of four by eight? So we put 100 lights. And so we're back there and we're saying, God, there are three services on Easter. We're going to have this gargantuous wall behind me, God. And if no one gets saved, it's going to look really stupid. So we came to that surface and we believed that we went on a perhaps that God would come through. 
Did he ever? We lit up every single light and we needed four more. God came through. Listen to me, church. Give him the credit for that. Dad Fest this year. You know, I love going after men. I love, I love families and I love seeing men lead their families. And, and, and I work hard at trying to stir men's hearts. And so this year we had Dad Fest Swamp Stomp. We took all three of our services and we decided again, we'd meet outside and we'd meet out by the pond. And this year we decided that, 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 that we would preach from the center of the pond on a pontoon boat. And I had people say, you know, disregard the judgment of others. I had people say, why would you do that? I said, well, Jesus did that 2000 years ago. He preached from a boat, so it's nothing new. So it's just, that quieted him right away. It's in the Bible. <laughs> and so anyhow, we're looking at the weather and the weather is showing 70% chance of rain on Sunday. Showed it, and there it was. I mean, it was dark. It was dreary. It was cloudy. I couldn't go to any map, and I looked, believe me, trying to find one. Just, there wasn't. And, and I remember we're, we're back in our offices, and, and our plan A was have all three services out there, have a motorcycle ride in the morning that we could reach men on our motorcycles prior to the service. And I remember in our office, we got down, we prayed, God, perhaps the 30% will be with us. And we stuck our necks on the line. We had no plan B, church. We didn't have any. If you would have showed up, it would have been raining, you would have went home. That morning we woke up and I jumped in on my Harley with a lot of the guys that were riding. And Jason Goon led us and we're riding west out towards Napanee and it's black. It's dark. And I'm praying, God, push it back. And you know it's coming this way. It's coming from the west. And I'm praying, please, God, please, God. All the bikes came back and we started our service. And we didn't have one drop of rain. And I will never forget the end of that service when men stood around that circle who said, I want to be the father that God wants me to be and the man that God wants me to be. And they stood at that shoreline. Had we not stuck our necks out and taken that step and let the super collide with the natural, then men's lives and marriages and families wouldn't have been transformed. Listen, church, sometimes you just got to go on a perhaps, especially if you believe that's what God wants you to do. Now, let me ask you this. What are you doing in your life right now that's banking on a perhaps from God? What uncommon thing are you doing? The message says it this way in verse six. There is no rule that says God can only deliver by using a big army. No one can stop God from saving when he has his mind set to it. Do you believe that by the way? And Jonathan is about ready to experience that. Look at this situation more carefully. There's a cliff on the north side and the south side. There was one weapon and two men. The odds of overcoming are slim and none, and slim left the parking lot. I mean, they could have easily been plucked off the mountainside. The Philistines could see them as they're climbing. All it would take is one sharpshooter with a bow and arrow. Boom! Yet Jonathan believed, he got off of his knees and he believed that God was colliding with him and that God wanted his people to win. And Jonathan refused to believe that his situation was too difficult for his God and he went on a perhaps. Look what happens. Verse seven, chapter 14. His armor bearer says this, do all that you have in mind. Go ahead, I'm with you heart and soul. Man, do we need some friends like that, don't we? Verse eight, Jonathan said, come then. 
will cross over toward the, the men and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will say, we, look what it says, where, stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them to our hands. Doesn't that seem like reverse logic? Seriously, they're telling us, come on up, big boys. Come on up. That's their sign. Wouldn't it seem like if they said, hey, don't come up here. or Don't come up here. Doesn't it appear like they're saying, come on up so we can knock your head off? Look what they say. Jonathan said, come then, we'll go. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines. The Hebrews are crying out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up here and we'll teach you a lesson. They wanted to kill them. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into our hands. <laughs> you got to laugh at that. They think they're going to plug them off. And they said, well, the supernatural is going to have a collision here. And God's going, they want to come up and knock us off. And it must be God's sign. He wants us to go. <laughs> oh, I just love their faith. Verse 13, Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right, bef- right behind him. You know, John Eldridge said in his book, Wild at Heart, he said this. He said, all men die, but few men really ever live. There's so much truth to that. Do you really live? What is it that's on your plate right now that's, wow, I'm sticking my neck out there for you, God, in in the school that I'm in. I'm letting people know that I'm a Christ father. I don't care. I have a disregard for the judgment of other people. I love you too much to not be vocal in my faith. God, I'm sticking my neck out here and I'm gonna go adopt these people with HIV and Down syndrome and I'm showing the world that I, that I love Jesus and I love people. I don't care what the neighbors think. God, I'm sticking my neck out here and I'm gonna walk in my workplace. I'm gonna be a bright light. Even someone looks at me and, and flips me the bird. I don't care. What are you doing? How are you really living right now? What areas in your life is your heart fully alive. It's in those areas that you're doing the uncommon. Lastly, the last characteristics is a simple and short one. In order to be uncommon, we have to put the needs of others first. Jonathan wasn't doing this for himself. He was doing it for all his local fellow soldiers who wouldn't do it. He was doing it for the name of Jesus and God. He wasn't doing it for himself. He was doing it for other people. When you do something uncommon, it often requires to put the needs of others first. I mean, look at these pictures. All these are connected to relationship. You can't do anything uncommon in a significant way all by yourself. You have to be doing it for someone else. Uncommon friendship, my wife and Marky Goon. Friendship, uncommon joy. Look at the joy on these, these guys here. Uncommon support relationship. Uncommon teamwork, me climbing the, 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 the wall, getting help to get up. Rex with, with our beautiful Asian girls, our adopted kids, uncommon family. It's gotta be connected to others. The days that we've been given are gifts from above. Make the most of your life today. So they implement a plan. Look at this plan. Watch it. Look what happens. Verse 8. Jonathan said, come then. We we will cross over toward the men and let them know 
So Jonathan moved down, Jonathan, verse 13. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and his feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan. Oh, really? And the armor bearer followed and killed behind him. Really? And in verse 14, in that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in the area, about a half an acre. <laughs> Two on 20, and they wiped their butts out. Bam! All because they had this uncommon vision of the future and they were courageous and they had a disregard for what people might say and they put the needs of others first. I love how it ends up. Verse 15 says, the panic struck the whole army, those in the camp in the field and those in the outposts and raiding parties and the ground shook. It was panic sent by God. Saul's look out at Gibeah and Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. Then Saul said to the men who were with him, muster the forces and see who has left us. When they did, it was Jonathan. He didn't even know he was gone and his armor bearer were not there. Saul said to Ahijah, bring the, the hot ark of God. While Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult of, of, of the Philistine camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion. Really? Striking each other with their swords, killing each other. Those Hebrews who had previously been hiding in the cliffs and the crags and they were afraid of the Philistines and had gone up with them, their camp, went over to the Israelite side. Really? Imagine that. Who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country on the rock claves, they saw what happened, they joined in too. Really? And in verse 23, so the Lord rescued Israel that day and the battle moved on beyond Beth-Avon. God did it. Uncommon. Victory. Imagine Jonathan and his friend's sense of accomplishment as they stood on that hill and they watched the enemy run away and they said, I'm building a house right here. Listen to me, church, this could be the year, but you gotta get off your knees. You gotta let the super collide with the natural and you gotta take that step. Otherwise, you'll waste your life. And the question that Andy left us with this morning was this, are you uncommon? I say to that, be uncommon. God, help us this year. I pray, God, that we would step out and God, that we would do things only by your power and your might and we would see victory and see uncommon success because we were willing to step. God, I pray you'll move people from their knees to their feet and I pray you'll move into action instead of them waiting for someone else to rescue them. God, you are the rescuer. You are the deliverer. I pray, God, that your super collides with our natural and there is a collision like we've never seen before in this new year. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week. God bless you.